Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. Um, if you're new here with us, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this Hill City team and just so grateful uh, you've decided to spend a portion of your Sunday with us. Um, and again, we'd love to meet you too. And so uh, if you uh, are just looking for a church home, and we hope that Hill City becomes that place for you. Um, and we'd love to just talk with you and meet with you. And so on your way out, there'll be folks in the lounge uh, that are waiting to speak with you. And um, We'd just love to answer any questions that you have and help you get connected. And then right in front of you, on the seat, in the seat right in front of you, there's a QR code. And so if you're wondering what's going on in our community and what events we have going on, there's like something happening all the time uh, during the summer. And so you can scan that code and it's got a lot of information that is helpful uh, for you guys as well. So we're in this uh, series called Won't He Do It, which is a study in the book of Mark. And so if you're not uh, familiar with the Bible at all, um, it's broken up into the Old Testament and the New Testament, and uh, in the hinge point uh, in, in the Bible is the story of Jesus and uh, his life and his teachings. And so what ends up happening is the first four books of the New Testament um, are called the Gospels, and they're kind of written to give you just a different portrait and picture of who Jesus is and, and what he taught and uh, what his life was really about and, and what it means to actually follow him. And so Mark is one of those Gospels, so it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we're taking the next, well, we're, this is the eighth week. We're going to be in this for 16 weeks, so we're halfway through the series. Um, we won't even get through the entire book, so we'll be uh, probably through chapter 11 or so in the midst of it. But we're taking all summer long to do this. Yeah, Mark, we're like three weeks behind already. So um, I thought we'd be a lot further than we are right now throughout the, throughout the book, but um, we'll get there eventually. Um, but so this series has really been about kind of like deepening our understanding of the life and the teachings of Jesus. And that's why it's so uh, important. And so today we'll kind of take a next step um, in this you know, in 1877, I was reading about this this week, in 1877, uh, Thomas Edison uh, had this like really cool um, invention. Uh, he had, uh, it's his only invention that he ever came up with, which there were so many, but he, this is the only invention that he ever came up with that was just like strictly, it just like popped into his head. Like all the other inventions were things centered around, he heard a need, and so he was like, I can invent something for that need. And, uh, and so he comes into play and he, and he creates this, right? So he's sitting down uh, one day and with his team, and they're, they're all sitting around, and, and he has this idea. He's like, what if we could create something where you could speak into it? Um, it would somehow record it, and then, uh, the, 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 and then we could kind of play it back in some way. And wouldn't that be really great for like, offices. Like that's what the idea was. It was just for like office space. And like when people were working that like, like the boss could say something and then it could be recorded to other people so that they, like all the information could get out. And so his team, this is like fascinating to me, uh, his team got together in an hour and a half, they figured out how to do it. Okay, so in an hour and a half, they sat down and, and they, they tried to use the phrase, Mary had a little lamb, was the first phrase um, that they tried to record. And so it didn't, well, it didn't actually work. It, it was like half words. And so basically, he's like, I think if we just like speak into this and there's this wax cylinder and the vibrations and we record it, and then if we kind of plays it back, then it'll all work. And they were like, yeah, that should work. And, and so at first hour and a half, they got like partial words, but then they worked all through the night. And then essentially the next day, they, they had this machine that could play back like people's voices in what was recorded. So this huge disruption started to happen in the midst of that. And because this was like a, a major, major invention, 
It was interesting because his, um, he was brilliant, but he wasn't like necessarily like a big entrepreneur. He was um, pretty opinionated. He had his desires and his wants just like anyone else would. And uh, what ended up happening was some of his other family members and coworkers were like, hey, music is like a big thing. And so this would be like really great for music. And he didn't like music at all. Okay, so he was like, I don't want to do music and, and kind of like this, because this will work great for offices. Who wants to hear this for music, right? Like, so um, essentially what ends up happening, obviously, is even though his invention, like, eventually, it's like, now we listen to Spotify and stuff right now, but like, this was, like, because of Edison, this stuff happened. Like, it became, you know, eventually the cassette player, like, when radio, cassette player, CDs, and like, all that stuff, and, and we are where we are, but, but he missed out. So his son was like, one of them was like, Dad, we, we've got to get in the music business. And he's like, no. So this disruption happened in his life. And, and actually, he, he caused this disruption throughout, like, really American life. And what ended up happening was he still missed out on the fruit of it. He still missed out on learning what could happen. He, he missed out because he just wanted to do what he wanted. And he wanted, even though, like, other people around him had great wisdom and everything, and, and he just missed out. And so then he kept trying to, like, jump in later. So he, he tried to, like, jump in the music business a little bit later, and it was just too late. And uh, it ended up, like, folding and everything else. And so, but this huge disruption that happened in his life didn't quite... Um, bring about the fruit that it should have. Um, how many of you guys have had a disruption in your life? Like a significant one. Um, how many of you, when you look back, you think to yourself, ah, I didn't quite learn as much as I should have? You might have repeated a mistake. Uh, you might uh, look back now and think to yourself, oh, if I could just tell myself five years ago to just pay attention to this part, to just, that disruption in my life was actually beautiful. I, it stunk at the time. Like some disruptions are good, but I'm talking about like, the disruptions that are like, like really like just kind of wipe your life out kind of thing. And sometimes we just miss it though. We, we miss um, the, the wisdom that's actually available to us. We miss what we're supposed to learn. We miss what God might be cultivating inside of us. Jesus was the greatest disruptor you'll ever come across. He came into all these different systems, and we're going to talk about some of these systems today. But he came in and he was disrupting everything. Um, sometimes when people tell me they're following Jesus, we'll have a conversation and I'll ask them this, what about your life has changed since following Jesus? And if their response is something like, you know, it's a little different, I would say, my next like, kind of comment is like, you might not be following Jesus. Because here's what we see all the time in, in like whenever Jesus comes across like people in general, when they decide to follow him, everything changes. Like, you are not left the same. Like, there's a process, absolutely. There's um, a step, you know, like some steps are quicker than others, absolutely. Um, all that stuff is a reality. You're never a finished product, but here's what I know. You can't pick up the scripture and you can't point to a story that's like, man, when people encounter Jesus, they remain the same. There was this massive disruption that always happened with Jesus. He was the greatest disruptor and still is today. And so here's how I want us to think about it as we kind of encounter this next passage in Mark chapter 5. Is that the presence of Jesus will always disrupt, cause discomfort, and distance us from what used to be acceptable. When Jesus comes into, really, into your life and we start following Jesus in the way that we should, I promise you that you will have, you will be able to articulate certain things that used to be acceptable to you 
that you're like, man, once I started following Jesus, it's no longer that way. It's something so different to me now um, because Jesus has stepped in and it's like revolutionized everything about me. Um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, and, and last week we, we ended Mark chapter 4, and we talked about what does it mean to survive the storm, and, uh, and so we talked a lot about water and everything last week and took a really deep dive, and so if you missed out on that piece, um, go back and listen to it. Um, it. There's some really cool things about like how water and what it means in the Bible um, and what this idea of Jesus being involved in water um, really means, but um, in this one 24-hour period, which is this huge pivotal moment in shaping the disciples. It's this huge pivotal moment in um, the shaping of the ministry of Jesus. Um, and so he comes the storm and they're on the way across the lake and they arrive in this new place. And so we've, we've got this storm that happened and, and what we talked about last week and now he's stepping and they're on land and they encounter something and this is going to seem like this bizarre story um, that when I read it you're going to be like, what? This is Kind of, it feels like this, this shouldn't be a reality, but, but it's in the Bible. So we're going we're gonna to work through this together. And it's one of those odd stories that um, people kind of can skip over. Like, ah, oh, that's a weird one. We're just going to move on. Um, but I want to read this to you in Mark chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, we can look up on the screen. So we've just gotten across everything. Again, this is just after the storm. So you can, you can imagine the disciples have just encountered everything that Jesus did on the storm. And he's like, they're coming off this high, right? Like, they're like... They get to land, and they're like, uh, Jesus just literally spoke to the wind and the rain and the waves, and they listened. Like, what is he going to do next? Because this is crazy, right? Like, how do you top that, right? So they get across the land, and here's what happens. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got off, um, out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him, all right? So he's hidden away in the tombs. This man lived in tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. So there's something about this man that they would, they would wrap him up in chains and he was so proud, he would still break all of those chains. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? That's important. We haven't seen people address Jesus like this just yet. And so this man comes shouting because he knows who Jesus is. And that son of the most high God um, is, a, is a phrase that's actually used all throughout the Old Testament, um, referring to this, the, the ultimate God, this Yahweh, okay? So in God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, right? It's this big command, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is... Legion, that's going to be important in a little bit. For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the near, nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, just send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake. All right, so... This is why it was important last week to talk about 
some, some translations will say the sea. And so again, some of us from last week was like, this is important to like think about, oh, they go into the sea and into the water, which Jesus just controlled. Okay, so he sends them into the sea and they drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who, who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were, look at that, afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Look at this. Then the people began to plead with Jesus, look at that, to leave the region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them about how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and he began to tell the Decapolis, which is 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people who, this is basically, all the people had heard this were amazed. Normal story or weird story? A little bit weird, right? This is like a, this is like a fascinating part of, of scripture. And um, how did this man become demon possessed? We don't we don't know. We're not, we're not like led into that. There are other things throughout scripture that I'm um, beginning to see that um, people who become possessed have like invited that in. Um, there's a, a, also a level within scripture that we begin to see um, that we can, that there's an influence, a demonic influence on people. It can be a demonic influence and in system. It can be demon, demonic influence in an in area. And we see that there's this spiritual realm. There's this spiritual warfare. There's this demonic element that is a reality, okay? It's not something that we like to talk about. I get it. Um, and it's not something uh, that we know a whole lot about because there's a spiritual realm to it. Um, people can overemphasize this stuff a little bit, right? Like you tripped on your way into church today on the curb and you're like, where are the demons, right? Like it's not, or, or it could be like, you're just clumsy, right? That could be like a reality too. Um, so, so there's like some of that reality too. So there's, some of this can be like tough and hard to like decipher. But what we do see here is that there's a demonic spiritual realm that is happening. And it is a reality within this region. It is a reality in this city. It was a reality in this system. And Jesus steps into this, okay? So he comes in and he's coming through. He just got done calming all the water in the stores. And he comes into this land and he's like, something else is about to happen. And he steps in and begins to see um, what's kind of ravishing this whole Gentile area. All right, so they went from the Jewish side and now they're in this Gentile side with these people. So what's the first thing that I wanted to focus on? That Jesus disrupts the religious system. All right, Jesus disrupts the religious system. He comes in, and what's interesting about this part is Jesus is coming in to confront evil. He's not coming in to ignore it. He's not coming in to be like, let's just hide it. He's coming in to specifically confront the demonic activity in that region. Now, why would he do that? Well, he's doing this because he's coming in to show like ultimate authority. He's coming in to show that in his presence, everything's gonna be disrupted. That in his presence, when the presence of Jesus is around, that evil, evil notices. That the demonic says, whoa, 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 what are you gonna do here? 
that the demonic begins to cower away, that the demonic begins to like beg for Jesus not to just ultimately eliminate them. The demonic begins to, to like notice that, oh, whoa, 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 the presence of Jesus is around here. And immediately what begins to happen is that the presence of Jesus confronts the demonic activity that's in that area. And so we begin to see that maybe, just maybe, that, that man, when there's something evil and there's something in the spiritual realm and everything, if it's, if it's like having its way, then the reality must be that maybe the presence of Jesus isn't there like people think it is. And so Jesus steps into this and he's like, let's go. And something begins to shift in the people and something um, begins to, to like the Gentiles that were there seeing this, like they tried to hide evil, didn't they? What did they do? They hid this man in the caves. Why did they do that? There's an element where they were like, we can't control this person. But the other part of it is this. Let's just like put him over there and not deal with it. Let's just put the, the demonic, let's just put this, this thing over there and, and just not deal with it at all. And I began to think about that part of this story. And I started thinking about how like, man, one of the greatest things that like kind of the evil demonic element does in our own lives is a, it's a great trick. Like, we get distracted, or we want to minimize, like, what's really going on, or we want to hide a kind of evil that we might be um, a part of in some kind of way, and, and, we, and we justify it, and, and we begin to kind of, like, this is what's happening in this area, and so Jesus is coming in, and he's like, no, 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 we're not going to justify this, we're going to confront this, and we're going to take care of it, because that's the power and the authority that I have. I began to process this a little bit when you take a, a step back and, and we just kind of look around. You can do this personally, you can do this kind of culturally. And we begin to see that, man, we justify a lot of things. We justify a lot of things that are actually demonic. We justify a lot of things that are actually evil. They justify a lot of things that um, are clearly not of God or life-giving at all. And we justify them. And when we justify them, and even when we know they're bad, we try and hide them. And in the end, what, what happens? It's self-destruction. It harms other people. And there's violence that comes about of it and, and everything. And, then, and, then, and we have to then come to a decision point of saying, do I want Jesus to disrupt this or not? Well, we begin to see so often throughout Scripture, and this is like a powerful point of this that you'll continuously see, is that Jesus doesn't uh, provide like a lot of different ways. He's like, do you want me to dis disrupt this or not? And then you choose one or the other. And it's just two choices, yes or no. And so Jesus is coming in. He's like, we're going to confront this. And so does this mean now even for, um, for like us, if you're a follower of Jesus, are we supposed to like going around like searching out for demons to confront? No. Actually, don't do that. Like there's a story in Acts of people that did that that weren't supposed to do that. And they got beat up so bad that they were naked when they left. Okay, so like, like you know you just got... If you walked in with clothes and then didn't have clothes afterwards, you got worked. Like, that's what happened. And so, so there's an element to here with this part of it that when we begin to see, um, well, then what does that mean? Well, we do see throughout Scripture that some people, some people can step into um, that realm of things, and that is a gifting that they have. And there's a sensitivity in that Jesus, and there's something that the Spirit of God is working in them. Some people can some people 
You're, not, you're just not supposed to. Like you, you pray for, you know the authority of Jesus and you, and you pray and all those things, but that's not maybe your gifting, okay? So, I'm, so don't confuse what I'm saying. I'm not telling you to go out tomorrow and start trying to call out demons of people, okay? Um, but we do see that this is something that happens and that there's a reality of this spiritual element that begins to kind of take place. And so when you take a step back too and you kind of look at what's happening, even just kind of culturally, what we're all kind of seeing and involved in and everything, um, I believe like within our country, and we could go any country, but this is just what we know, we can see that there's a, a spiritual thing happening right now. And it is, it's not just like playtime. It is like there's a, there's a, there's a heaviness to this. There really is. There's like a, a heaviness. There's a, there's a part of this that we begin to see and how it begins to manifest itself in different ways. Um, you know, when you, we start thinking about like there's a cultural righteousness that happens and which right now kind of plays out like if, if you don't agree with me, then you're gone, right? And, and everyone seems to be doing this. It doesn't matter what quote unquote side you play on. Like this, it doesn't matter if it's church, politics, sports, whatever. It's like if you, if you disagree with me, like you're out. You're not, like, you're, not, you're not in with me anymore. And there's this kind of like self-righteousness that's happening. And, and that is not of God, right? So if something's not of God, it isn't neutral. And that's part of this story that I want us to fully grasp. If something is not of God, it isn't neutral. And so we begin to see then how this starts playing out over and over and over again. Think about this. Right now, we live in a world where everyone's just trying to find themselves. That's one of the biggest things that we begin to see. And you know why people are always trying to find themselves is because they're alienated from God. When, when you're always in the search of trying to find yourself, it's because there's something so deep, so, something that's core in who you are that is missing, and that is a connection to the God who created you. That is a connection that it's, you are disconnected from God. And so you will. You'll, you'll keep trying to find yourself. And you'll keep going over and over and over and over again. You'll try everything. And you keep going and keep going. You'll try this. you try that. you try this. try that. Try that try. And nothing is ever fulfilling because it's been disconnected from God. And we see in the midst of this, like, that there's this, like, system that's out there that just keeps telling people, just find yourself, just find yourself, just find yourself, just find yourself. And the system that becomes at play is, is like a religious system because it becomes your worldview of what you begin to see. And so it doesn't matter if you're right, left, middle, whatever. It, it's like it's all over the place. And you might be saying, like, it doesn't feel demonic. And I'm like, well, let me just tell you, if you're constantly just trying to find yourself and it's all about you and it's all about your self-righteousness, all about what you want, eventually what you'll do is you'll start hurting other people. You'll hurt yourself, you'll hurt other people, and that creates a system at play that is just about the self. And here's what I know about the self. That is not of God. The focus on the self is not of God. And again, it isn't neutral. And we begin to see this on a deeper level. And so when this starts to play out, anger starts rising. And we start seeing things that start to, to develop. And so I wrote a few of these things down that, that um, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but everyone's angry, right? Everyone's just like mad all the time. And, uh, and I'm going to get to that in a second of, of what that actually reveals. But everyone's mad. 
And I started thinking about even within the religious systems that we have at play, um, the more kind of fundamentalist, legalistic people are so mad right now when you talk about trying to reach people far from God. They get so mad because it, it goes outside of like their rigid system that they had put in play. And they get mad about it. Like, it's not the way it used to be. It's like, no, but we, we contextualize, we move, we shape, we, think we do different things to kind of reach people and, and people get mad. You get kind of the, um, the spiritual but not religious crew, right? They, they get mad. They're so mad right now because when you talk about the authority of Jesus, the authority of Scripture kind of step into it. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is too much. And, 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 and that crew is like, man, that's not of God. And so they're, they're, just, they're just mad. It's, it's this religious system. And Jesus is coming in to disrupt this. You know, if you've got the anti-God people, like Jesus disrupts that system so much because here's what you begin to, read, you begin to see about anti-God people. Um, their ideas never work. If, if their ideas worked, we would have figured it out by now. And they don't. So then you bring in Jesus into this and it disrupts their religious system. And so Jesus is coming in. He's disrupting. He's disrupting. He's disrupting. And it's like, okay, what does that mean for me? And how does Jesus want to disrupt my life? Because no one in here, nobody that will come in here like this whole entire day or will watch online, whatever, none of us have it all figured out and Jesus wants to disrupt something in us. Here's the second thing that I believe Jesus wants to do. Um, he disrupts um, the economic system. All right, now I'm not going to say be a capitalist or be a socialist. I'm not saying that. But he comes in and he disrupts this economic system. See, in, um, the pigs that were there, they were, they were like a large part of their economy. Um, pigs were, pork was like a delicacy to Gentiles and to uh, Rome. And so there's this element of um, that's how, like, that's the, meat, that's the meat that they ate the most. And so if you, had like a, if you were a pig farmer, that was like your livelihood. And so it's interesting that um, to a listener of hearing this story, they would have been like, whoa, hold on a second. So those demons left this dude and go into the pigs, and the pigs go into the sea. And that sea always represents, as we talked about last week, that sea represents chaos and the abyss. And like, it's not the things of God in the sea. And, and they just jump in there. Like, what, what's going on with, with all of that? And the Jewish listener at that point in time would have been like, whoa, whoa, whoa. what's Jesus doing here? Because they, they would have known that, you know, Jews didn't think that um, uh, any, any, if you touched like a, a pig or pork, like you were deemed unclean and everything. And so they were, they were pretty anti-pork um, anyway. But there's this kind of element like, but then it just goes rushing into the sea. So Jesus steps in and that, that the ways of Jesus are going to disrupt even like the economic way that we think about everything. And the ways that, that our wealth and, and everything, like it's, it's like Jesus is going to step in. He's like, I know what you're thinking. That, that the way you guys do it is the best way. But I'm telling you that when you come and let Jesus disrupt your life, how you think about money and wealth and your economy is going to change. It disrupts it. And um, there is no system currently, all right, there's no, there's no economic system currently that fully identifies with Jesus. And so Jesus would come in and he disrupts this system. And it steps in and, and it's pretty powerful what ends up happening um, with all of this. And, and when you think about the economic system that was also at play, um, it was directed by Rome. And here's kind of one, I think, 
cool little element. This is the 10th Legion uh, emblem. And if you can see right on the bottom there, it's a pig or a wild boar. And so there's a lot of like symbolism in the demons going into the pigs here. Um, it's going into like, it represents kind of the symbolism of like wealth and the economy. It represents the empire of Rome as well. And so um, they would have known that, oh, that, that the 10th, 10th legion in particular, and even in the word legion, legion refers to a couple of thousand soldiers. And so the fact that um, the name of it was legion, there's all these tie-ins to Rome in the empire. There's all these tie-ins to the economic system. There's all these tie-ins um, to like, like how things were run in that point. And so Jesus comes in and does this crazy miracle and it disrupts their entire way of life and how they approached everything. Can you imagine if Jesus came in and whatever you do, however you like make your money, whatever, that Jesus did something and you just watched it all just go. But at the same time, it was like, he's disrupting the system, but if you follow me, you'll have like this greater riches than you could ever possibly imagine. It's like this incredible thing that's happening right in this disruption that's happening right in this moment that he's trying to get people to see. It's like, like, do you see who I am? Do you see what my kingdom is like and everything? And here is the thing that, like, about this story that it, it makes me, like, it hit me, like, pause for a second because I was like, this is what we do all the time. In verse 17, it says that they feared Jesus. They were more scared of Jesus than the demon. They saw, they know what the demonic did. Jesus comes in and delivers that, restores it, creates this newness that happens right in front of them. Rather than saying, we're in, and everything would you just like, you know what? We don't like this. You're out. His disruption was so much that when you infused his presence into something, that they were more scared of what Jesus might do than the demonic. That's how lost they were in the midst of that. And so I paused when I was reading that, and I started writing down uh, notes. And, and this was like the first thing that I thought about, and that was this, that anytime we choose comfort over conviction and preserving over disruption, we will want to push Jesus out. When Jesus comes in, we're like, no, I, I want to keep this part of me, God. I want, I want to keep this part of me because I kind of like this, and I know it may not be fully right, but I just want to keep doing it. So what do, you, what do we do in those scenarios? Rather than let Jesus fully in, we're just going to push him out. I started thinking about even like just more on like a cultural level. If you inject Jesus into conversations that are happening just all around us right now, if you try to inject Jesus into it, what happens? They will fight you like crazy. If we want to talk, if you want to say, hey, let's talk about sexuality, what's happening just all around us, like let's inject Jesus into the conversation, what do they do? They'll fight you like crazy. Why? Because they know the disruption of Jesus is like, it changes everything. And then you've got to make a decision. Hey, let's, let's inject Jesus into how we talk about money. Whoa, don't talk about my money. I, I like my greed. I like what we have going on here. So you bring Jesus into this, and people are like, no, 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 no. Like, I mean, think about this, y'all. If we follow Jesus, every single person that follows Jesus should be um, irrationally generous. 
That's what Jesus teaches, that we should all be irrationally generous. But what do we do? We, we, we reject that. God, it's too disruptive. It's too disruptive. But we, so we push Jesus out. Um, let's talk violence. There's this like bloodthirsty violence sometimes that we have culturally. And what we, some of the things that we elevate. It's like you inject Jesus into that conversation. You're like, whoa, we can't be weak. It's like, oh, so Jesus isn't strong enough? When we begin to, to just think about these things, like, let alone, I, w- I won't talk about politics, but like, think about just like any big thing that is dividing people, any big thing that's like hurting people, any big thing, inject Jesus into it, and what do you think people are going to do? They're just kind of going to push them out. And they're going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, you, we'd rather have the demonic stuff. That's easier. We're going to push you out. The last one is this. He disrupts the relational system. He disrupts the relational system. One of the things that is pretty fascinating about this part of this this story is um, they took a man uh, who was sick. They took a man who was hurting. They took a man that something was happening in his life. And what did they do? They, they marginalized him. They put him away. They hid him in caves and thought that that would take care of it. And there was this relational system that was set up. Um, even when, think about, the, like, did, did we see the disciples in this story? We did not. You know why? Because... They were Jewish, and they thought that the Gentiles were unclean. And then they're stepping into this demonic thing, but it's even, like, way more unclean. And so they get this. Think about the relational system that was set up. Jews didn't want to be around the Gentiles and thought about this uncleanness everywhere. They just got done seeing Jesus talk to nature and calm it down. That wasn't enough for them to be like, maybe we should love people. That powerful moment still wasn't enough for them to be like, because we don't hear about them. So they were there, but they're not involved in the story. Why? Because uh, relationally, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, we, we don't get down with those people. And so they chose their system that Jesus was already trying to disrupt. So in the midst of this, Jesus walks up who he was Jewish, and he does this incredible miracle, and he sets an example for them that's like, no one's too unclean. No one should be marginalized. No system should be set up where we're dividing one another and all this other stuff. Like, that's not of God. And he steps in and he restores all of it. And he disrupts this whole system. Key markers of an unhealthy relational system are loneliness, ignoring the marginalized, and accepting divisiveness. And when I say unhealthy, I was just being kind. I meant demonic. And here's what I mean by this. I was just reading this this morning. Um, there's a recent, um, they've been studying friendships for the last uh, 30, or yeah, 31 years or whatever. And from 1990 into now 2021, um, the level of loneliness is like 
growing exponentially. The lack of friendships, um, ha the, the people that have, um, the amount of people saying they don't have close friends has, has over doubled since 1990. Um, and what ends up happening is when loneliness is a uh, relational factor, and listen, we could talk about the why of all those things with social media and all this other stuff, but when loneliness becomes like a reality in a grouping of people, here's what I know, that the love of Jesus isn't there. That relationally, we are choosing to marginalize people. Relationally, we are choosing to just segment people. Relationally, we're choosing to do this stuff, and all of that stuff is under the influence of the demonic, not Christ. All this stuff about divisiveness, that's demonic, not Christ. And so when we elevate these things, when we jump into a camp, when we do whatever, and we take part in the divisiveness, and we take part in those things, I'm just telling you it's not of Jesus, and it isn't neutral. It's participating and the demonic element. I'm not saying you're demon-possessed. I'm just saying we're participating in what evil is doing. With Jesus, there is no in-crowd. He dismantled that, and he disrupts it. And he brings people in that were once marginalized. He steps in, and he looks at it, and he's like, man, see these injustices that are happening? When you inject what Jesus does into this, he, he comes in because the message of the gospel is always going to have a, a, a justice element to it. it. It can't not. And so Jesus steps into this and he's like, man, this, this injustice that's happening and marginalization of these people, like to be a part of this kingdom of God, you step into these scenarios. <laughs> that's what happens. But the love of Christ begins to disrupt us, everything. So we know that behind every act of any kind of injustice requires people to step in with the authority and love of Christ. That's part of the disruption in our lives. It changes everything. When I started uh, thinking about the us versus them stuff, it, us versus them thinking is, is a not a product of the teachings of Jesus. It is a benchmark of accepting the ways of the demonic. This has been a part of just what we see everywhere. And um, even within the church, kind of historically, there's all, they're starting really, well, it's been around the church for a long time, but, um, and you can kind of trace it historically throughout the American church. Um, it's been different reasons and stuff like that. It was racial for a while. Um, even like stuff like evolutionists became part of it in the early 1900s. There have been things around communism and, and different things. And, and it's always like trying to create a fear-based model where there's this us versus them kind of element. You think about what happened after 9-11. It was this like big kind of wave within Christianity um, to really have this us versus them by anyone who was Muslim. What ended up happening in the midst of this is a level of anger and hatred towards people. That is not of Jesus. It's not. It's of the demonic. 
wags, you got to speak truth to different things. And what about if we go this whole route? I'm not listening. There are places and times for those kinds of discussions about what things can happen with ideology and stuff like that. I get those discussions. But man, when it comes to like, that person is our enemy, that party is our enemy, someone who thinks like that is my enemy, and that's not of Christ. And the acceptance of this is stepping into something that is of the demonic, not of Jesus. One of the things in this passage that ended up happening to this man, I don't know, that's why I circled it, was that um, he didn't have any clothes on. So he was naked as well. And one of the reasons that people would do that back then was if you, if you declothed somebody, you were um, dehumanizing them in the biggest way. Um, when Jesus went up on the cross, um, in all likelihood, um, he was completely naked. And, um, and typically people were hung on the cross completely naked um, because that was the, the most shameful possible, like, exposed thing you could be. And so to, to, to make them naked, they, they, they basically, the reason that they would do this back then was this idea that, like, animals didn't have clothes. And so to declothe someone would be to essentially be like, you're just an animal and you would dehumanize them. And so even sometimes when they would call people, like as a derogatory term, a kind of animal, that was the reason. It was like to fully dehumanize somebody. And we still see this now, right? Like people can call someone else a derogatory term, but it's actually like an animalistic name. The reason why that's there is to dehumanize someone. And when you can de fully dehumanize someone, you're trying to take the image of God out of them. So one way to think about it is this way, that dehumanizing others means partnering up with the demonic and turning your back on Jesus. And so, here's the powerful part of the story, though. And I get it. This is like a little heavier today. So if you're new, sometimes I'm funnier. But... <laughs> Here's the powerful point of the story. And it's just like, it's, it's amazing. At the end, this man is clothed. Do you know why? Because Jesus restored his humanity. So get this, the disruption of this man's life. He's clothed now. He disrupts his entire life. He's clothed. So Jesus has restored his humanity. He's now, in his, says, in his right mind. Jesus has restored his perspective and he's thinking the right way. Why? Because he begged to follow Jesus. And the third thing that ended up happening, and this is the one that um, we miss, he is the first person in Scripture that Jesus told to be an evangelist. We often tell Jesus, Jesus heals someone and he says, shh, don't tell anybody. Don't do it. In this scenario, and there's some reasons for it, but like he becomes the first evangelist and not just to his family. He says he goes out into the entire Decapolis, over 10 cities across the region to share with what Jesus had done in his life. That disruption caused that inside of him to be like, I got to tell everybody about this. And it said that when he went to people, they were amazed. Because again, you are never the same when Jesus comes into your life. Band, you guys can come back up.
So in a second, we're just going to process this, and, um, and we're going to sing one more song. And this song is, is actually called Jaira, and that word Jaira is just, um, it's another word for God. Here's what I want you guys to just process with me today. And um, in a second, we'll, we'll throw a minute, literally a minute, up on the clock, and you'll see it. Um, I believe for all of us, Jesus wants to disrupt something. Something. Maybe it's the way we've been processing culture and life and the things around us. Maybe it's something with a particular relationship. Maybe it's a particular habit. When I was praying this week, I was like, God, my prayer is that um, if we are willing to accept the disruption of you into our lives, that we would just have eyes to see the things that you see. And like, oh, people are talking about, again, politics, race, sexuality, violence, money, whatever. And you're like, whoa, whoa, no, 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 that's not of Jesus. So that's not neutral. That's of, that's of the demand. That's not neutral. And it's, we disrupt the way that we think. We disrupt the way that we see and process. And there's something. So we're going to put a minute up on the clock. And um, whatever Jesus is speaking into your heart, and then we'll sing, and then I'll come and close us in prayer.